847 is 366 and 7. Hello and welcome to A Score to Settle, a podcast about movie and TV music. I'm your host, Brian McVicker. Each episode I focus on music composed for film and television, whether through analyzing a specific score, taking a deep dive into a particular composer's work, or by way of interviews with guests, both those in the industry and also fellow fans. So in this episode, I actually decided to join in the fun of the season and present an appropriately themed topic for Halloween, something you might have picked up from this opening piece you're hearing now, uh, which is the prelude to Psycho from 1960, composed by Bernard Herrmann. Uh, it's a piece of music that really never releases you from the nerve-jangling tension for the, the full two minutes of its piece. <laughs> so uh, apologies for anyone out there who might be listening to this episode after October 31st. Um, hopefully it'll still be engaging, nevertheless. So my focus will be on my top 10 scary film scores. Uh, This is not the top 10 best ever, um, but really just my own personal favorites. Truth be told, though, I'm really not much of a horror movie fan. Um, I was always more of a science fiction and fantasy film fan. Uh, I just never really had an interest, um, you know, first of all, in those kind of perennially famous monsters like vampires and werewolves or even zombies. I think they're the worst. Uh, And was absolutely not a fan of the slasher genre. Uh, So, uh, sorry to disappoint anyone out there, but you won't hear any music from Friday the 13th, Halloween, or Nightmare on Elm Street. No offense to those uh, respective fans. Also not a fan of the, uh, the, the prevailing trends of Saw and Hostel and films of that genre as well I just yeah it never really never really appealed to me so while I was not uh, not a fan of what could be called you know th- those traditional horror genre uh, films I was always more intrigued by what were more of a mashup of various genres such as horror combined with science fiction like alien or life force or horror plus uh, a dark fantasy kind of thing like nightbreed or a supernatural horror uh, like The Omen, um, or, you know, ghost stories kind of thing, and something religious-themed. It just seemed like I found the story elements more compelling than just a flat-out horror movie. Um, but while compelled to watch, I also hated the fact that I still wound up with nightmares. Uh, of course, the primary reason that would attract me to any horror genre project would be if a favorite composer was providing the music. Uh, so this is pretty much the best explanation why you'll probably hear so much Jerry Goldsmith in this episode. Okay, so I promised that this would be an episode about a top 10. Um, so I'd, I'd love to treat this uh, just like a Casey Kasem countdown. Sorry for the outdated radio reference. Uh, and start counting down from number 10. Honestly, I usually shy away from rankings. I'm usually just not that great at sort of actually picking a singular number one and then going on from there. But I think for this special Halloween topic, um, I really just was able to buckle down and actually work my way towards a number one. Uh, along with some honorable mentions on the way. So, starting my countdown at number 10, we are going all the way back to the year 1935 uh, to the movie Bride of Frankenstein with music composed by Franz Waxman. 
Now this title is notable for many reasons, both personally and also for the art form overall. Personally, I love the score because I love Franz Waxman as a composer. He's probably my favorite composer from the golden age of Hollywood, that decade of 30s and 40s and into the 50s uh, of that sort of established the sound of Hollywood movies. He had immigrated to the United States from his native Germany um, and quickly emerged as one of the most prolific titans of film music alongside uh, fellow composers Alfred Newman and Max Steiner and Dmitry Tiomkin. Uh, he was part of that group representing that first generation of composers for film that really kind of invented the art and craft from the ground up. Now, Bride of Frankenstein was, of course, the sequel to the 1931 Frankenstein, starring Boris Karloff, uh, which was pretty much the forefather of all horror movies, um, along with Dracula, uh, starring Bela Lugosi from that same year. However, Bride of Frankenstein, uh, directed by James Whale, was the initial example of the rare breed in movies where the sequel both equals and surpasses the original. Now, in 1935, the art and craft of film scoring uh, was, as you can gather, still in its infancy, its toddler years, really, as movie making was progressing on from using either existing classical music tracks um, in many silent movies or simply no music at all to a functioning, dramatic, original score composed to picture. Uh, now, Franz Waxman's music for Bride of Frankenstein is notable as the first full-length original score for a horror movie, um, unless you counted uh, Max Steiner's core score for King Kong. Um, and Waxman's music still impresses uh, with a beautiful and, and eerie and sometimes dissonant tone. Um, listen for this uh, rising three-note motif which represents the bride herself. Now that recording of the music um, is uh, was conducted by Charles Gerhardt, uh, performed by the National Philharmonic Orchestra, uh, from a collection of Franz Waxman music that uh, was done in the early 70s. I think it's probably the best version of the score that uh, that you can hear. Um, interestingly, that rising three-note motif uh, is very similar to um, the song, the melody from the song "Valley High" from South Pacific, which came along I think 14 years later. So it's just sort of a weird coincidence in that regard so uh moving on to number nine on my list which we're jumping forward from 1935 all the way to 1970 uh to a mostly forgotten movie or at least i was not aware of it uh for a long time uh involving witchcraft and the occult called the dunwich horror uh it's based on an hp lovecraft story 
and uh, stars future quantum leaper Dean Stockwell. And it has music by Les Baxter. So Les Baxter initially found fame in the 1950s as a recording artist for Capitol Records. He uh, was leading an orchestra in sort of loungy pop instrumentals of the day, um, often termed exotica. And it's still kind of hip today. Um, I think it can actually, you know, be used in sort of samples and tracks. He went on to score a number of low-budget horror, fantasy, and science fiction movies uh, in the 60s. And his music for the Dunwich Horror is really kind of uh, melodic and also kind of spooky. uh, But it really straddles the line between late 60s pop trends and then horror movie dissonance. Um, The main theme is almost uh, a funeral dirge. Uh, But what I love most about this score is that uh, Baxter kind of perks it up with a pop backbeat, alto flutes, tambourines, and synthesizers. And there are even some uh, cues that uh, sort of sound like the the dark underbelly of one of his lounge albums. (laughs) So here's the main title from The Dunwich Horror, coming in at number nine on my list. So the soundtrack album for the Dunwich Horror uh, was recently reissued on CD by La La Land Records. And uh, this score uh, motivated me to seek out more of Les Baxter's music, uh, as that was the first album of his that I had purchased. And there are some really fun and sometimes groovy examples out there, uh, such as uh, his music for Hell's Bells. Um, and, uh, and there's a Goliath and the Barbarians, which is also pretty great. Uh, now the Dunwich Horror includes some really cool kitschy track titles like Sensual Hallucinations and Cult Party. And there's another track called Sacrifice of the Virgin, uh, which is more akin to those easy listening, loungy style tracks that uh, Les Baxter was known for that I had mentioned, uh, with sort of these flirty flutes and, uh, sort of a light jungle drum, uh, rhythm to it. So I want to play a little bit of that track, uh, called Sacrifice of the Virgin. Thank you. 
on this example of a horror score that incorporates pop music trends of the day, it's time for me to pepper in one of my honorable mentions to this top 10 list. It's one particular track from 1977's Exorcist II, The Heretic, a sequel to the 1973 original. While the music in the original Exorcist as released consisted of existing tracks, most notably uh, Tubular Bells by Mike Oldfield, the sequel features an original score composed by Ennio Morricone. The movie, directed by John Badham and starring Richard Burton and Linda Blair, unfortunately and famously, or or rather infamously, turned out to be a a pretty maligned picture uh, and was considered kind of a train wreck. Uh, but the score by Morricone is colorful and weird, and uh, this particular track called Magic and Ecstasy is kind of a bonkers acid rock trip. countdown of my top 10 list of scary film scores, we arrive at number 8, which is Patrick Doyle's score to Mary Shelley's Frankenstein from 1994, directed by and starring Kenneth Branagh as the titular mad scientist. Now, Scottish-born Patrick Doyle has been Kenneth Branagh's consistent composer ever since their initial collaboration back in 1989 with Henry V, uh, which was an absolutely stunning debut, really, for both of them. Um, and continuing all the way up to 2017's Murder on the Orient Express. Now, in 1994, uh, Bronach presented this lavish, colorful, and really very theatrical interpretation of the classic Mary Shelley novel, and Patrick Doyle responded in kind with a very lavish, energetic, and equally theatrical orchestral score. I say this as the music really leans more towards uh, the dramatic symphonic fury of a Beethoven work than what horror movie scores sounded more like at that time, um, i.e. more electronic, more atmospheric. Um, And what I love about this score is that it's sort of, it's really unapologetic in its driving presence. It's an active participant with striking brass and percussion proclamations. Uh, and also very effusive love theme. Uh, it could be considered over the top for a modern horror movie, um, and in a way is more akin to what Franz Waxman composed for Bride of Frankenstein. So here is a sample of that symphonic fury that I mentioned in a cue called The Escape.
As you can hear there, it's a very richly orchestrated score. All sections of the orchestra are involved fully, um, from percussion to winds to strings to brass, and everybody is active um, and and you know working away at the score. Um, and then for contrast, uh, I mentioned that there's the love theme and sort of an unapologetically passionate love theme. Uh, which underscores the romance between Bronog's Dr. Frankenstein and Helena Bonham Carter's character of Elizabeth. Um, its most passionate presentation is in this cue uh, called The Wedding Night. In addition to scoring all of Kenneth Branagh's films that uh, that Branagh directed, uh, Patrick Doyle's really had a fantastic career uh, throughout. I mean, he uh, went on to such big commercial or critical hits, uh, you know, such as Sense and Sensibility, uh, Donnie Brasco, Bridget Jones's Diary, uh, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, um, all the way up to uh, Thor, the first of, of those films uh, in sort of the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. So um, he's really, you know, remained busy throughout his entire career. Um, but he really did become well-known. He has a knack for these richly orchestrated scores, and they're really fantastic. That that partnership between Branagh and Doyle uh, has lasted almost as long as uh, the one between Tim Burton and Danny Elfman and and David Cronenberg and composer Howard Shore, but it doesn't seem to get mentioned as often as one of those long-lasting composer-director partnerships. So, climbing up on my list, we reach the number seven spot, uh, occupied by a score from 1989, a sequel to a critical and commercial hit that unfortunately didn't achieve the same heights. This would be The Fly 2 with music by Christopher Young. The 1986 original, uh, directed by David Cronenberg, who I just mentioned, uh, starring Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis, was, of course, a remake of the uh, 50s horror sci-fi classic and uh, featured a thunderous score by uh, Cronenberg's favorite composer and sort of his house composer, Howard Shore. Uh, Now, the 1989 sequel starred Eric Stoltz and Daphne Zuniga, uh, and was directed by Chris Wallace, who was more of a special effects and uh, a guru uh, in that in that uh, part of the industry. And it also featured a really robust orchestral score uh, with a really tragic 
melancholic tone, um, along with some passages of unnerving tension and, and fury uh, by Chris Young. So born in Red Bank, New Jersey in 1957, um, Christopher Young's early career in the 80s was really dominated by horror movies. Um, and it's, it's something that he actually is a fan of. Uh, but he always brought a sense of imagination, experimentation, and wonderfully dark melodies, often uh, performed on strings, to each of these projects. Uh, he's talked about in interviews how he's he was so inspired by Bernard Herrmann and, and Jerry Goldsmith. And for me personally, I loved his music so much that I would seek out any of his soundtrack albums, whether I'd even seen the movie. And then I would watch any of the movies. I would try to watch the movies that he scored, even if they were I knew they were going to give me nightmares, uh, like uh, Hellraiser and, uh, and its sequel. So here's an excerpt from a track on the soundtrack album titled Fly Variations, um, which is a track that encompasses several cues from the movie, but uh, it has a great rendition of Chris Young's main theme for the film. And it's a theme that really emphasizes the uh, tragedy. It's sort of more of a emphasizes the tragic nature of the story rather than the horrific aspects of it. Uh, So coming in at number seven on my list, this is from The Fly 2. So I'll actually be revisiting more music by Chris Young in just a bit. But now I'm going to pause the countdown again for another honorable mention. Um, And so this is a score for a film that falls into that subcategory of the horror genre, which is The Mad Scientist. Again, kind of going back to Frankenstein. Um, This would be Altered States from 1980, uh, starring William Hurt and directed by Ken Russell. It's a film that uh, could also be classified as science fiction. Um, but for me, I found it completely terrifying, um, as it has some strange hallucinatory sequences, uh, that William Hurt's character experiences, uh, as he's attempting through sensory deprivation to regress to a primordial state of mankind. 
The score is composed by John Corigliano, who is primarily known as he's a legend in the concert world uh, for his avant-garde works. Uh, but he dips into the film scoring world at times, uh, such as you know for this film and also for the Red Violin. Uh, now, his music for Altered States is mostly atonal and something that really shouldn't be listened to in the dark. Um, and I mentioned as an honor, I have it here as an honorable mention because I had admire the score and I appreciate parts of it um, and but it isn't one that I, I listen to as often but it's a very challenging score um, but it does have some fascinating uh, textures and tonal qualities to it um, but here is a track uh, from the album that's called uh, Second Hallucination Henshi Mushroom Right. So in listening to uh, John Corgliano's music from uh, Altered States, I'm reminded of a topic uh, on a previous episode where I had interviewed composer David Doss, and we had talked about uh, some of the challenging uh, avant-garde music of classical composer Arnold Schoenberg, um, and that in the mid-20th century, um, his music was uh, considered almost unlistenable because it wasn't tonal and in the concert world you know people wondered who would actually you know sit in an audience and listen to that but how strangely it wound up being a great template and model for horror movie music eventually and uh it's just fascinating how those those classical styles that seem odd an odd fit for sitting in an audience in a concert work so great in a film world in a in a visual media world um, and uh, and how certain composers picked up on that particular style of, of composition. But, you you know, Corigliano, you can see him, he's sort of a following along from uh, Schoenberg and also some of those vicious rhythms uh, like you hear in Igor Stravinsky's Rite of Spring. So returning to my top ten list and our countdown, we are at number six. Now, here we reach our first of several scores by Jerry Goldsmith, uh, pretty much my favorite film composer tied with John Williams. I placed his score for 1979's Alien at number six. Uh, It is a masterwork of the genre and also of uh, the films of director Ridley Scott. Now, this movie is often placed in the science fiction category, uh, which makes total sense as it takes place in the future, takes place in outer space, and also on a spaceship. But really at its core, 
Alien is more of a haunted house movie. Uh, now, Jared Goldsmith, in interviews, um, had often described his time on this project as fairly frustrating as there seemed to be some communication difficulties between him and director Ridley Scott on um, the sound and approach for the music. Jared Goldsmith ended up rescoring much of the picture, um, certain scenes over again, um, had his music cues either heavily edited or completely replaced in some scenes with cues he composed for a different movie, actually, in this case, uh, the 1962 film Freud. Now, one example of this scenario was his main title cue. The original version carried a bit more optimism in its tone, um, yet Ridley Scott kept asking him to pull this back. I think he just kept trying to strip out any sense of hope or optimism from the music, instead wanting to only focus on the fear and the terror. So Goldsmith rewrote the main title, Uh, which is what you now hear opening the movie. But I wanted to kind of, for contrast, play. Here's the original version of the main title uh, from Alien coming in at number six on my countdown. It's fascinating to hear the more sweeping romantic element to the the music in that original version of the main title. Um, interestingly enough, the same year uh, as Alien in 1979, Jerry Goldsmith also scored uh, the first theatrical Star Trek film, Star Trek The Motion Picture. And that film warranted a warmer, optimistic, uh, hopeful tone to its music. And it, it sort of bleeds into um, some of his original um, ideas of the music for, for Alien. Whereas now in the revised main title cue, it's much more atmospheric with a creepy effect from the strings called Call Legno. Uh, it's a technique where the players slap the bow across the instrument which Goldsmith then processed through an echoplex to sort of give it that extra creepy vibe. Uh, So here is a bit of the revised main title cue, which you do actually hear in the movie.
Alien is one of those examples of a, a horror movie that I love because it is more of a mashup. Uh, its, it's science fiction setting really appealed to me more than the horror elements, and having a score by Jerry Goldsmith completely won me over. Although I do have to admit, when I saw the movie for the first time, I was, you know, as a kid, uh, it was the thing that gave me the most amount of nightmares wasn't the alien itself, it was actually Ian Holmes' portrayal as Ash, surprisingly, as the android. Continuing on to number five on my countdown, we jump ahead from uh, 1979 to the year 1994, a year where we previously heard Patrick Doyle's music for Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, but this same year also includes the next title on my list, that being Elliot Goldenthal's score for Interview with a Vampire. So this was a highly anticipated film uh, based on the popular Anne Rice novel um, directed by Neil Jordan and starring Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt. Uh, it's set across several time periods as the vampire characters don't age, um, with Goldenthal's music providing the sonic through line, the uh, emotional backbone, uh, if you will. Uh, now, Ellie Goldenthal hails from Brooklyn, New York, um, and similar to composer John Corigliano, who we heard uh, music from Altered States, Ellie Goldenthal entered the film world by way of the concert stage. Uh, in fact, Goldenthal was a student of John Corigliano, and careful listening will reveal uh, some of the same avant-garde techniques of the elder composer that influenced the younger. Uh, Goldenthal's music for film um, is very often a really stirring mix of genres, uh, from traditionally classical uh, structures to very avant-garde to jazz and rock, um, weird vocal effects. Um, it basically, in uh, he, he sort of seems to have a melting pot approach in his music. He'll even throw in saxophones and electric guitars against a, uh, a, strong, a small string orchestra. Uh, now, in Interview with a Vampire, um, we hear him draw upon sort of romantically symphonic textures, along with some really bristling brass, uh, Baroque harpsichord interludes, and even a boys' choir uh, with a boy soprano soloist. Um, this cue here, uh, called Madeline's Lament, features those romantically symphonic gestures.
Later in another cue, uh, called Claudia's Allegro Agitato, we get an angry little passage for piano and string quintet, um, a passage which is eventually halted by this intrusive low brass stabbing uh, sort of sound. Uh, it's it's an example of Goldenthal sort of mixing compositional styles within a single score. Um, again, this is a, a cue called Claudia's Allegro Agitato, which means, in musical terms, quick and agitated. So, Goldenthal's score for Interview with a Vampire was nominated for an Oscar, and surprisingly had been composed in only a few weeks' time, um, as his music was a replacement for the initial score uh, by George Fenton. Now, director Neil Jordan and Elliot Goldenthal collaborated on two more films after this, uh, Michael Collins and The Butcher Boy. And for about a 10-year period, starting around 92, Goldenthal was an A-list composer whom everybody wanted to hire. He really kind of rocketed to the top of the of the list. Um, I loved his music immediately um, in every genre, whether it was science fiction or horror or, or drama. Um, I was just really clicking with his, you know, unique sound and his uh, style and sort of uh, blending all of those various genres. And so I was grabbing every score of his that was released on CD. Hopefully in a future episode, I can dive further into his career. Before we chop our way closer to the number four spot of my countdown, I'm going to pause for the next honorable mention. And it's an honorable mention that was a specific request from my fiance Amy. This would be the music from 1968's British thriller Twisted Nerve, directed by Roy Bolting and starring Haley Mills, with music composed by Bernard Herrmann. So this was Herrmann's only theatrical credit that year, and came at a time when uh, Herrmann had moved already from the States to the UK, following the painful professional split with director Alfred Hitchcock in 1966. They had had a falling out uh, over his score for Torn Curtain being rejected. Now, the most memorable aspect, I think, of this score for Twisted Nerve is its main theme, which is performed by a solo whistler. Uh, It's an unusual choice for sure, but it was actually right in line with Herman's predilection for finding unusual choices for his scores, whether it be the theremin and the day the earth stood still, or the all-strings orchestra only for Psycho. Now, it's essentially a carefree melody uh, set mainly against some uneasy vibraphone and string sonorities. Now, thanks to this piece finding a new home in Quentin Tarantino's Kill Bill, uh, and also the TV series American Horror Story, 
it's gained a surprising pop culture status and recognition. So here's the main theme from Bernard Herrmann's score for Twisted Nerve from 1968. Well, we've now passed the halfway mark on my countdown of top 10 favorite horror movie scores of my own personal favorites. Uh, and I hope there have been some neat surprises for everybody listening, or maybe a reintroduction for some of you to an old favorite. Coming in at number four is another powerhouse score by Christopher Young, um, and another sequel, incidentally. In this case, it's Hellbound, Hellraiser 2 from 1988. So this movie was directed by Tony Randall uh, with a story by famed horror novelist Clive Barker. Um, And it was a follow-up to the original Hellraiser from the year prior, which had been written and directed by Clive Barker himself based on his novella, The Hellbound Heart. Uh, Now, Hellbound Hellraiser 2 is probably the goriest and most gruesome movie on my list. Um, And back around 1989, when I ran across it on HBO, I I stuck through it really just to hear Chris Young's music. Um, Chris Young scored both Hellraiser and Hellbound um, in a surprisingly rich orchestral fashion, a very melodic fashion. Um, And in Hellbound, he elaborated on a lot of his themes from the original um, and really uh, embellished it uh, by adding choirs, um, more brass, and some really strange percussion. Now, the story elements for these films center around a mysterious puzzle box uh, that, once solved, opens up doorways into hell, after which these horrible demons called Cenobites come to take you away, body and soul. Um, But uh, it's, yeah, so it's a real uh, happy occasion. But uh, after a prologue sequence in, uh, in Hellbound, Chris Young opens up the orchestral and choral floodgates with this main title. So again, this is from Hellbound, Hellraiser 2.
in addition to these large-scale passages, which in some ways recall the power that uh, composer Bernard Herrmann brought to his scores from the fantasy movies uh, Mysterious Island and Jason and the Argonauts, um, maybe in just a very darker vein. Christopher Young presents examples also of a 20th century compositional concept which began in France called musique concrète. Uh, it was an experimental form of mixing and manipulating uh, some previously recorded elements uh, and voices and electronics and, and anything else you could find. And these passages are particularly disturbing as you get lost in the soundscape. Um, there's no discernible structure or direction. It's more of a mass of sound. Um, one of the best examples um, is this cue, um, again from Hellbound Hellraiser 2, called Leviathan. Surprisingly, for someone like me who isn't much of a fan of horror movies, uh, back then I wound up reading a great deal of Clive Barker's novels and short stories. Uh, really, after being intrigued with these two Hellraiser installments and uh, Chris Young's music. Uh, yes, they could be uh, downright gruesome, but there were some pretty wild and imaginative worlds and characters he created um, that uh, I think just really clicked with me, um, you know, back at that time, you know, during high school, college, and uh, onto my 20s. Uh, but this is a, a fact that we'll encounter in one more score on my list. So swimming in to the number three slot on my list is that oceanic titan of 1970s cinema, Jaws, from 1975. So there's really no need for an introduction to this movie. Um, its place in director Steven Spielberg's canon and pop culture consciousness overall um, is sort of uh, indisputable. And the prominence and effect of the score composed by John Williams can never be underestimated. It's a score that features uh, white knuckling tension by way of the famous shark motif. Uh, along with uh, a, a variety of other material that often gets overlooked, such as a uh, humorously baroque piece uh, for the opening of the summer season, when all the people are sort of arriving on the beaches. And then there's also the sweeping adventurous music for the last third of the film um, on the open sea, which is something right out of a vintage 
pirate movie, which is exactly what uh, Spielberg and Williams were going for uh, in that section of the film. So in assessing Jaws overall as a film, I actually find that it sort of straddles the decade, um, not just the fact that it actually, you know, was released squarely in the middle of the decade, but also in terms of filmmaking styles, um, as much of the performances and the scenes play out in a uh, very naturalistic style, uh, which was more common to the early 70s pictures, but then uh, Jaws also has that broad, adventurous uh, appeal to general audiences that sort of foreshadows uh, the blockbusters of later years, like a Star Wars or a Close Encounters or a Superman. So here's an example of that white-knuckle tension that I mentioned. Uh, in this cue, right from the opening of the movie, uh, it's a cue called Chrissy's Death. Um, the music here bites just as ferociously as the shark does. So again, that was Chrissy's Death from Jaws, composed by John Williams. Uh, I should note that that particular version um, is unique to the album recording from 1975. Uh, when the soundtrack was coming out, uh, John Williams wound up going into the studio and re-recording highlights from the score for the album. So he expanded on certain uh, cues and sort of combined others together. Um, so when that album that came out in 1975 was not the original film tracks. Those were released in years later, but I always uh, was particularly fond of those album recordings, actually, from uh, 75. I should also add on a personal note that when I saw Jaws as a kid, uh, the shark scared me so much that I imagined that it could still get me uh, when I was sleeping in my bed at night, even though, of course, I was not even anywhere near the water. So, we're fast approaching number one on my list of favorite horror movie scores. Uh, number one being a title which might have an interesting wrinkle to it. Uh, but before that, I certainly don't want to shortchange the runner-up. So, coming in at number two on my list is a score from a 1990 movie written and directed by Clive Barker. So, we have a name we have heard previously um, in relation to Hellraiser. And starring Craig Sheffer and, oddly enough, David Cronenberg in a rare acting role for the fame director. This would be Nightbreed, uh, with music composed by Danny Elfman. So this was the year after Tim Burton's Batman, and the same year as his beloved classic Edward Scissorhands. Uh, Elfman's profile had skyrocketed in a few short years, uh, from being an uh, alt-rocker in the band Oingo Boingo, to becoming Tim Burton's musical persona. 
Uh, he was the new kid on the film scoring block, uh, but at the time, it was considered that he had an unusual, self-taught, non-formal musical background, uh, something that by now in the film scoring world, um, more often than not, many of the today's composers actually have uh, are either self-taught or have a, a non-formal musical background. Uh, now, Danny Elfman had an immediately signature style and sound, uh, which was highly influential and still is popular today. Uh, Nightbreed is based on Clive Barker's own novel called Cabal, uh, concerning a hidden society of monsters and shapeshifters and freaks who have been shunned and persecuted by general society. Elfman's music for Nightbreed um, is marvelous. It's, it's brimming with these creative instrumental colors, uh, some kinetic energy and bittersweet tonalities, um, all of which are hallmarks of his style uh, throughout his career. There are some extended passages for tribal percussion in both children's and adult choirs, um, both of which are showcased in this particular cue called Meat for the Beast. Even after all these years of amazing music from Danny Elfman, Nightbreed remains one of my top favorites from him. Uh, I, I think it's an absolute highlight of this early era of his career. Uh, it's like mixing uh, the, the dark underside of fantasy elements from Edward Scissorhands, even though that score also has its own uh, dark tonalities. Um, and, and some of that uh, dark tonality from Scrooged and Beetlejuice. Um, and it also kind of looks forward to the savage per, uh, brass and percussion heard in his score for the Planet of the Apes uh, version of, from Tim Burton uh, from 2001. Uh, I really, uh, you know, love Nightbreed uh, from start to finish. All right, everyone, we have sliced and diced and exercised our way to the top spot, number one on the countdown of my top ten list of favorite horror movie scores. However, just before I reveal it, I wanted to present one more honorable mention, as it's a good lead-in to number one, being that it's a score composed by Jerry Goldsmith. 
This honorable mention is from 1971. It's a little-known movie called The Mephisto Waltz, directed by Paul Windcoast, and starring a pre-mash Alan Alda and Jacqueline Bissett in a weird soul-swapping story uh, brought on by a Satanist in the movie, played by Kurt Jurgens. Uh, it features a score that I consider one of the most unnerving scores of Jerry Goldsmith's total output, and probably one of the creepiest from the entire horror genre, in my opinion. Musically, it rarely lets in any light. It's relentlessly bleak and a challenging listen, not unlike uh, John Corigliano's Altered States, which we heard a sample of earlier. Jerry Goldsmith does reference the concert piece Mephisto Waltz by Franz Liszt uh, for reasons relating to the plot, um, but there are some original bone-chilling string work um, with piano and uh, flutes and bells, uh, sort of a wailing uh, theremin, and uh, some terrifying moaning noises that are produced by a Brazilian instrument called a cuica, also called a friction drum. Uh, it's an instrument that he had also used on Planet of the Apes uh, just three years prior to sort of almost mimic the uh, a hooting sound uh, of, of an ape. So take a listen for that instrument, particularly um, in this cue uh, from the Mephisto Waltz called Part of the Bargain. This score was released on CD back in the 90s by uh, the record label Verez Saraband, coupled with another Jerry Goals with horror movie score, The Other, from 1972. I think if anybody wanted to uh, uh, play some pretty creepy music for a Halloween party, the Mephisto Waltz might be just the ticket. <laughs> and now we arrive at number one on the countdown, and I did promise a slight wrinkle to the top spot, and that's because it's in three parts. It's a trilogy. Specifically, it's Jerry Goldsmith's music for the three theatrical films in the Omen series. Starting with the original in 1976, directed by Richard Donner, the same Richard Donner who would later direct Superman, The Goonies, and Lethal Weapon, and starring the legendary actor Gregory Peck. This was a frightening tale of the Antichrist being born on Earth as a child named Damien, who was then adopted by Peck's character and his wife. Horrible deaths soon ensue, all by seemingly random 
occurrences and terrible coincidences. Goldsmith's music here is as integral to the movie as Williams was to Jaws the year prior. And subsequently, um, his music for the next installments in 1978 and 1981 really become the only through line for the series since the cast is different each time. Um, his music for all of them can be considered variations on a theme and a concept. Uh, you can listen to his thematic ideas develop and expand across all three scores, um, reaching some surprisingly soaring major key heights in the third film. Now, since there is... Interestingly, nothing really overtly visual in the movie to indicate a devilish presence. Um, the threat is felt and the fear is mainly generated by Goldsmith's disturbing um, uh, score consisting of orchestral pipe organ and choral elements. Uh, it kind of becomes that awful sensation when you walk into a dark room and it feels as if someone is hiding in the shadows, but you can't really see them. Uh, Goldsmith really set a new standard here for horror movie scores. Um, primarily uh, by way of the creative uses of choir, uh, from dark Latin chants to moaning to whispering. Uh, and his Oscar win for this was well-deserved. Uh, unfortunately, it was his only Oscar win. Um, but here is the main title from The Omen from 1976, uh, which is called Ave Satani. When the Omen emerged as a huge success, uh, both critically and commercially, um, plans begin for a sequel, uh, with Goldsmith being one of the first hired on the production. Uh, Damien Omen 2 followed two years later in cinemas, uh, although the film's plot actually takes place ten years after the original, um, as Damien has grown up and he's now a teenager. It was directed by Don Taylor, um, and interestingly, he had taken over from previous director Mike Hodges, I think, who had directed the movie for about the first few weeks and then was let go due to creative differences, and stars William Holden and Lee Grant. 
Jerry Goldsmith retained the same uh, musical approach for the sequel, um, but really beefed up the orchestra and added some electronic elements. One of the fascinating aspects of Jerry Goldsmith's career, I think anyway, is that um, he was always shifting into new creative directions every few years. So um, in those situations, in those scenarios, when he was hired to compose music for sequels to his own work, these sequel scores would be influenced by whatever current compositional phase he was passing through. Uh, The Omen really bears the hallmarks of his early 70s work, with a smaller orchestral ensemble and a more stringent sound. Uh, whereas by 1978 and Damien Omen II, he had begun to expand his orchestral palette um, and was experimenting with more electronics. So here's a cue from Damien Omen II, um, where again, we're going to hear some of the uh, creative uses of the choir in here. Um, It's from a cue called Shafted. So that was part of the cue shafted from Damien Omen 2 from 1978. Just as an aside, if anybody listening is a fan of the actor Meshach Taylor, um, notable for uh, his role on the TV series Designing Women and also the movie Mannequin, uh, his first film role was in Damien Omen 2, and that cue underscores his particularly gruesome death, actually. (laughs) Uh, So lastly, there is the third installment in the Omen series, appropriately titled The Final Conflict. Released in 1981, uh, directed by Graham Baker, and starring future movie paleontologist uh, Sam Neill as Damien, now all grown up and fully wielding his evil influence. Now, however, uh, there is a sense, uh, interestingly enough, that there is a light meeting dark in this chapter, um, as the plot has a celestial conjunction uh, occurring, which is to announce the rebirth of the quote-unquote Nazarene, according to the movie. Basically, it's uh, Jesus Christ. Um, anyway, Goldsmith continues the musical approach of orchestra and choirs, um, but he really completely moves away from the Ave Satani theme uh, that he used in the first two installments, uh, the first two scores, and he instead composed several all-new themes. Um, 
first is a powerful and menacing theme for uh, for Damien, uh, often voiced on brass, uh, and second is a lyrical, more hopeful melody uh, for the uh, the for the Nazarene character um, in the film. So here is the main title from the Final Conflict, and it uh, presents Damien's new theme right at the outset. So that was the main title from The Final Conflict. Um, now, interestingly, this was composed at a time when Jerry Goldsmith had uh, started transitioning into a more lush style of composition, uh, really starting around the time of Star Trek The Motion Picture in 1979. And so this score uh, shares more in common with the flowing melodic music uh, that you hear in his, in his scores for The Secret of Nim and Poltergeist in 1982, than it does the original The Omen. Uh, now, this is best represented in that lyrical major uh, major key theme that I mentioned that accompanies the celestial stellar alignment uh, in the movie. Now, in addition, there is actually a third new theme, but it's only heard at the end, underscoring the uh, sort of heavenly triumphant climax of the movie. And it's as exhilarating as any cue heard in a golden age biblical epic of the 50s or 60s like King of Kings or The Robe. I mean, it's just massive and, and huge, and um, it's a really great piece of music. But here's an excerpt from a cue uh, from fi The Final Conflict called The Second Coming. So this really is that um, focuses on that lyrical major key theme that I mentioned that it recurs multiple times. This one recurs multiple times in the movie, um, and uh, this is one of its best presentations. Uh, so again, this cue is called The Second Coming.
So with that glorious crescendo, we bring this countdown to a close. I think it's fitting that after so much dark and unsettling music, we get to uh, finish with music that is so uplifting. <laughs> so as always, I want to thank everyone for listening today to this Halloween-themed special episode and indulging me as I counted down my personal top 10 favorite scores from horror movies, even if some of them were mashups of horror science fiction or horror fantasy uh, or sharks. Uh, I hope you found it both entertaining and frightening. Music in this episode is from the following films. Psycho from Bernard Herrmann, Bride of Frankenstein by Franz Waxman, The Dunwich Horror by Les Baxter, Exorcist II, The Heretic by Ennio Morricone, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein by Patrick Doyle, The Fly 2 by Christopher Young, Altered States by John Corigliano, Alien by Jerry Goldsmith, Interview with the Vampire by Elliot Goldenthal, Hellbound Hellraiser 2 by Christopher Young, Jaws by John Williams, Nightbreed by Danny Elfman, The Mephisto Waltz, The Omen, Damien Omen 2, and The Final Conflict all by Jerry Goldsmith. If you'd like to send any comments or questions, you can email the show at podcast at gmail.com, find the blog at escortasettle.blogspot.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash escortasettle, and on Twitter at score2settlepod, that's at score, the number two, settle pod. If you listen to the show by way of iTunes, feel free to leave a rating and a review. That's always appreciated. Thanks again for listening, and I hope everyone has a happy Halloween. Mm-hmm.